From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your taxi cab, RV, camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett, and I bid thee the warmest of welcomes. A Colin Hall is an independent researcher, investigator, author, and he's standing by from England. He's got a very curious and strange tale involving a multi-car pileup on the M6 motorway near Birmingham, England, back in November 2009. Nothing unusual about that, you say, but the crash was precipitated by a flash of intense light. According to witnesses, the tarmac was set on fire. The three lead cars in the crash were all on fire. Uh, and then, without giving too much away, it gets really, really bizarre after that. Uh, and then, a similar crash near the Eiffel Tower in Paris about six months later. Again, very strange, some might say paranormal occurrences surrounding that crash, all covered up by local police and the media. Uh, Colin Hall is standing by to tell you more about the M6 and Paris crashes. We also have some uh, audio tape, a uh, police audio tape as well that we'll, uh, we'll be playing. In the meantime, just a reminder, no hangout on air tonight. We will resume the HOA next week when Elbert returns, and then you'll be able to stream the, uh, the video of this program live on YouTube. You get to watch the radio. It's really cool. Uh, Albert and I did post some stories, however, up on the website, and you may want to check those out. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the radio page. Up at the top of the radio page for The Conspiracy Show, there is a slide carousel containing all sorts of great stories. And just click on whatever grabs your attention. Uh, if secret underground bases are your thing, then we've got a great story for you from a website called weshapelife.org. Weshapelife.org and the piece reveals top hidden underground hideouts all over the United States. Uh, and then there's this bombshell described on the website, yournewswire.com. Shockwaves are reverberating around the Kremlin as word spreads regarding an extraordinary meeting called, uh, called by Vladimir Putin recently, where, according to sources, the Russian president said, now get this, 95% of the world's ruling class are not even human, uh, but are cold-blooded hybrids who are members of an ancient cult. I don't know, did Putin actually uh, out the ruling elites as a bunch of reptilians? Uh, I can't vouch uh, for the veracity of this story, but you can read it and decide for yourselves. Those are just two of the tantalizing tidbits available in the slide carousel on the website. Go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the radio page. Okay, this one. Uh, as I mentioned, is a real head-scratcher. I had Colin Hall on the program several years ago when I first got wind of his strange story, uh, two-car pileups, one on the M6 in England, another six months later in Paris. A lot of similarities between the two crashes, and quite frankly, the details, if true, are just plain weird. And here uh, he is uh, joining us again with an update on the M6 and Paris crashes. Colin Hall is a security consultant based in England. He became interested in the reports about the M6 paranormal crash and the Paris crash and has written a book about it, uh, Volume 1. Uh, and perhaps after this program, he'll be busy working on Volume 2 of the M6 and Paris crash. Colin Hall, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good to talk to you again. How are you? I'm very good, Richard, and thanks for having me back. And, stay, uh, and thank you for being up uh, at 2 a.m. Uh, over there in merry old England. Whereabouts are you in England? Um, based at the moment um, up in the northwest, 
uh, have been travelling a little bit as as I do with my my regular job. So I've sort of been flitting between the northwest and the south uh, of the country for the last few months, just on various projects. To be fair, this the, the Paris M6 crashes. Um, you contacted me. I'm trying to remember when we spoke last, but uh, to be honest, I was not aware of this story, and it has stuck with me. And I know we have an update uh, tonight, and that's why you're joining us. But this has to go down as one of the most bizarre, uh, head-scratching stories I've ever come across in my 20 years uh, doing this type of radio. And um, uh, how did you first learn about, uh, before we you know talk about it in depth, how did you first hear about the Paris M6 crashes? Well, I, I was doing some research for a client, um, and you know, part of part of what I do is security consultancy. So, um, we'll map out routes, we'll look at um, risks, um, and part of what I was analysing actually, and it is it is very mundane, um, was a, a trip, you know, within the M6. Now, <laughs> as I was doing my research, I stumbled across these stories, and probably like like yourself, I became rather fascinated, borderline obsessed. And then, of course, the more I researched into the M6, then obviously things were allegedly happening in Paris. So I started to research that. So I jumped on a plane, went to Paris, drove up and down the M6. Um, and before I knew it, I'd um, collected enough material and, and released a book called Fact or Fiction. Fact or Fiction, the Paris and M6 crashes. Colin Hall is, is with us. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning and, and those not familiar with this uh, bizarre series of incidents uh, on the M6. This is a major uh, motor route, highway, if you will, uh, in England. And, of course, uh, another similar incident that happened in Paris. So take us back to the beginning and, and give us sort of the thumbnail Reader's Digest version. Well, the, the, the first of the, the, the two incidents that, that allegedly happened was the one based over on uh, the M6 near Birmingham, which we can now confirm with this new evidence that's come to light. Um, there were a sequence of events during what, again, appears to have been a, a very normal um, RTA, road traffic accident. Um, we have vehicles that were involved in a, a low-speed pileup. Um, but here's where it gets a bit weird, if you like. Um, witnesses in and around this crash scene reported seeing a bright light. Um, there were unconfirmed reports of some sort of burning on the tarmac and also unconfirmed reports that the passengers in the front three vehicles um, simply disappeared. Um, now, this was reported on by, by a chap called Mark Collins, who I've never, ever been able to contact face-to-face. Um, but this chap released a series of reports. Online, right? Yes, online. Um, claimed to be some journalist. Um, and it, he reported initially on the crash uh, on the M6, and then all of a sudden another incident pops up near uh, near to the Eiffel Tower in Paris. But again, it got very, very strange because we have the same thing. We have the flashing lights. We have, I think this time there was reports that um, the, the, the passengers or the occupants in the car disappeared momentarily. Um, and then we have this um, scenario at the um, Petit Salpetrier Hospital in Paris, 
um, where somebody broke into the morgue. Uh, again, they were arrested. Allegedly, they were tampering with the bodies. Um, quite why, I don't know. I mean, I, I asked a couple of people about this, but, you know, there was allegedly um, some injecting going on. And, and, of course, you don't inject a dead body. There's no reason unless, of course, you're embalming them. Right, or you're extracting uh, something with a hypodermic uh, needle. Yes, of course. I mean, you know, but this was definitely injection in rather than okay. extraction out. So just to be clear, Colin, there were fatalities in the Paris crash. There were bodies taken to a morgue. Yes. But yes. Not, but, absolutely, yes. But what about the M6? Any fatalities? Uh, no. And I, I think that this is interesting because the people in the front of these vehicles, as far as I'm aware, um, have never, ever been found. So how they would be classed, I don't know. Um, but there is that difference between the two incidents, um, according to these reports by Mark Collins. So, I mean, I, I, I guess from that, and being what I am, as I say, I'm a consultant in the security industry, I got sort of hooked on it um, and delved even deeper. And the more I delved, the less I could actually find out. And pretty much everywhere I turned, uh, I was stonewalled, which, again, was, was quite unusual for something that was allegedly quite high profile. What's the time frame on this? When did this happen? Well, we now know, and we've had it confirmed, um, that the crash on the M6 happened in November 2009. Um, we also now know that the crash um, in Paris happened, I believe, is in March 2010. So they were within sort of six months of each other. Right. Um, and as I say, the, the MO is the same. Bright lights, you know, people disappearing and reappearing. Um, the only difference is there were fatalities allegedly in Paris. They weren't on the M6. They just disappeared. And and witnesses, uh, have you been able to contact witnesses in Paris? And again, this event happened about six months later, 2010. Uh, witnesses who were on the scene may be involved in the accident? No. I mean, again, when I was out in Paris, um, I... I don't know. I mean, maybe my reputation precedes me, but uh, <laughs> it was quite unnerving. I mean, you know, poking around the Eiffel Tower in 2010, um, asking questions of the gendarme, they just completely blanked me. Um, there was a cafe near to um, the Avenue de New York, um, which was sort of like the, this, the road that runs parallel to the Eiffel Tower, um, again, very, very quiet, very cold shoulders. So uh, no witnesses. The, the only statements of fact that we actually had to go on um, were the reports by Mark Collins, which again made it, uh, and I've always used the word, these alleged incidents, um, you know, was it fact or was it fiction? Um, I thought it could have been an elaborate hoax. Um, and... It, you know, a lot of it pointed to that. But, of course, the reaction on the floor in Paris sort of made you wonder, okay, perhaps there is something more to this. Right. And, um, again, the the number of people missing, I guess, in the Paris crash? Well, they weren't missing. There were four bodies. Just four there bodies. Four bodies that were recovered. Okay, so nobody missing in the Paris crash. But what made yeah. it similar to the M6 crash was the bright light... Was the tarmac on fire there as well? 
I, I guess so. I don't know. Okay. Um, we know that there was uh, reports of a bright light. We know that there was reports, um, again, on, on the Mark Collins reports, um, that uh, passengers momentarily disappeared. So it was a very similar MO. Um, I guess the physical evidence, i.e. the bodies, um, is the difference. Right. And also, why on earth would you inject the dead bodies? Exactly. Well, you know, three years on, um, yeah, answers or questions are slowly being answered. And But you've had some confirmation on the ground, you said. What, what sort of... What sort of things have been verified, substantiated, and by whom? Well, again, over the last, what, three, four weeks, um, there's been this release. There's been two releases, in fact. Um, the first release with two images taken at the uh, Petit Salpetria Hospital. Um, the first image is of a suspect holding a device. And the second image is of that device on the mortuary floor. Now, these have been released by somebody. I don't know who he is um, or she. Um, but when you look at the images and when you look back at the reports, they appear to corroborate two things. First, somebody was clearly in possession of some strange-looking device um, and that that device found its way into the morgue. So that was the first thing. Uh, last week, we then get confirmation of events on the M6. Um, there is an audio clip that's been posted online. Now, again, whoever has posted this audio clip alleges that this audio clip is a section that was removed from the original police control room audio. Um, in it, I think it's just over a minute long. We, yeah, um, we are going to play that, uh, Colin. We'll play that when we come back um, off of the next break. We'll hear this alleged police audio recording that was removed initially from the, I guess, the first audio recordings that were released. And this uh, this uh, bit that we're going to hear would, would tend to lend some credence uh, to the uh, the Mark Collins uh, story and and, um, and and your version of the events, the Paris and M6 crashes, perhaps the most unusual story you've never heard, but you're going to hear about it tonight. Colin Hall, my guest, the author of Fact or Fiction: The Paris and M6 Crashes, and we'll play that clip when we come back. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. Stay right here. My name is Richard Serrett. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. And we are back uh, with Colin Hall, the author of Fact or Fiction, The Paris and M6 Crashes, Volume 1. Uh, but I'm guessing, Colin, with this uh, new information that's coming to light, in particular this police audio clip we're about to hear, Volume 2 will uh, will be in the works soon. Uh, yes, I, I definitely think that there's, um, there's scope, um, given what we've now had confirmed by this alleged whistleblower. So, yeah, no, totally agreed, yes. Okay, so again, just to... Uh, to, to, to uh, Recap, the M6 crash, November 2009, you had a, a car pileup uh, on the M6 motor route. 
The um, the crash, uh, witnesses say, the crash was precipitated by a, a bright flash of light. Uh, the tarmac was on fire. Uh, and the drivers in the three front vehicles involved in the crash completely vanished. Do I have it right so far? It, absolutely, yes. Then, six months later, similar circumstances, a, uh, a crash near the Eiffel Tower in 2010. And in this case, there were fatalities. Although, according to some reports, some of the occupants of these cars seem to, what, flit in and out of... Um, well, they were there, and then they were gone, and then they were back again. That, that's exactly it. I mean, I think the phrase they used was they disappeared momentarily. Disappeared momentarily. Um, These bodies ended up in the morgue, and according, to, again, to some reports, uh, someone was seen in the morgue injecting the cadavers with something. We don't know what, mm. uh, which is very strange. Okay, now we're going to just tee up this uh, this police audio clip we're going to hear, Colin. Yeah, I mean, th- this was this was posted last week. Um, I- I've had... I've listened to it a lot. Um, this is uh, allegedly a, a section of the audio between the police and the control room um, at the centre of the M6 crash um, that was removed. Now, in the scheme of things, you remove something because you want it hidden, you want it buried. This was removed clearly if, if this is you know, uh, the real deal for exactly that reason, because that audio clip completely and utterly confirms those initial reports by Mark Collins, but also um, it elevates the status of what actually happened there from just a mundane low-speed pile-up to something far more sinister. All right, let's have a listen to that clip. Colin, how do we go about, or how do you go about, authenticating uh, these uh, these tapes? Are you able to compare them to the original police audio tapes, or how do you do it? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I don't have access to the original tapes, um, but I've got a, a very good contact of mine who, he's a forensic expert in, in audio recordings. Um, I've, as I say, I've listened to it extensively. I always go back to the first and possibly the most important thing is, which is the motive. You know, what is the motive for this? Um, and then I have a look at what we have presented to us. Now, you know, when I'm listening to this as it is at this moment in time, um, 
it, it sounds extraordinarily accurate um, to the reports that were written by Mark Collins. But more importantly as well, if you're going to go and put something together of that quality, there has to be some form of a reason behind it. Um, and then to sit on it for nearly three years after I put my book out and seven years, is it nearly? Yes. Um, since the actual incident took place. Now, whoever's done this has taken a risk if this is real. Um, and a whistleblower, again, a whistleblower perhaps inside, uh, inside the, uh, the police. It, uh, police, it could be some sort of special investigation unit. Um, I, I don't know where that inquiry would have been stationed. Clearly, what's happened is they've collected all of this information um, and they've kept it quiet and someone somewhere has got extraordinarily angry and decided, I'm going to put this out into the public domain. So you, know. you mentioned uh, that this was missing from earlier reports. So what I was uh, referring to when I said, can you compare this? So if, if there are some recordings available, uh, but this bit was missing, uh, would you be able to go back and match your forensic expert, match the voices and, and so forth, the ambient sound, all of that kind of stuff to match it to the, the, the police, the police audio? If we had access to it, yes. The only, the only reason we know that this is missing from the original is from this posting by this whistleblower. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, you know, the, the statement is is there. You know, they've, they've said that this was basically redacted. I see. I guess is the, is the phrase you'd use. Um, and as I say, the only reason you would do that is to keep that incident absolutely under the radar because it would just be a normal mundane crash. Um, what we have here is something that corroborated Mark Collins' reports. If I had access to the original audio, though you're quite correct, I could match everything. I could have my experts sit there, you know, second by second and, and track everything to check for authenticity. As it is, what we're having to do is go through archives, uh, or what I know he'll be doing, certainly, is looking at archives of police recordings from the past. He'll be checking all sorts of things like accents, etc., um, terminology used, and then going from there. As a, a layman's opinion, um, it's very deadpan, which is very typical of police communication. Um, there's no uh, emotion in it. It's simple reporting, uh, and clearly that officer is, is near a road. So, you know, just from a very basic um, level of examination, um, it does appear on the surface of it to be the real deal. The the M6 crash, the Paris crash, were there any survivors uh, in rear vehicles? Well, in, on the M6, you would have to presume yes. I mean, this is a multiple car pileup um, and there were no fatalities reported. Um, now, quite whether these people behind these first few vehicles knew what was going on, I don't know. I mean, specifically, this this officer was instructed to throw up a cordon. Right. So nobody could get near to it. So as far as they're concerned, I mean, a flash could be explained by any number of things. Um, you know, as far as they're concerned, it's just a simple crash. Um, the police are thrown up a cordon, drive past, and off you go. But uh, uh, have you or anyone sort of put the clarion call out online uh, asking for anyone who was on the M6 in that area that night to come forward? Yes. I've, I've, I mean, I've talked about it publicly at length. Um, nobody has ever come forward. Um, for what reason, I don't know. 
I cannot believe that they would not have been aware that they were involved in a crash. Unless, again, we're talking seven years ago. It was three, four years after um, it happened when I released the book, where the people simply had dismissed it as a, as a non-event. Uh, or those who saw something were, is it sort of another situation like Roswell, where they were sworn to secrecy? It, always a possibility, but it's very, very difficult to um, coerce, a, a, you know, a relatively large amount of people into doing that. But it is, I would never rule it out. Um, you know, bear in mind, I come into this with a completely open mind, um, as I did when I reviewed the first, um, you know, bits of evidence that I could get my hands on. So, yeah, I mean, any anything is possible. All I know now is the facts are I've got two images now that uh, appear to be from the Petit Saint-Patrier Hospital. And then we've got this audio clip that appears to be from the crash scene on the M6. Now, that puts us ahead a few notches from where we were, and it gives us something tangible to work on and look at and then, again, try and go back and backtrack and see if we can unlock some proper solid witnesses that we can talk to i am on it you know as we speak now we are trying to see what we can do now we've got specifics in terms of dates um uh, you know particularly in paris i mean we've got four bodies in a hospital in a morgue somebody knew about these bodies you know we've now got a picture of a, a device that was on the mortuary floor can you describe that device <laughs> well it's it was quite funny actually because I posted it somewhere and someone said it looked like a pregnancy testing kit and I have hmm. to say I did chuckle at that because I thought yeah the, the one the one slight um, issue is that you've got what looks like some sort of screen um, and then it looks like there's some sort of triangular tip on it um, which again has been described as as the, the device that that can account for the puncture wounds on the skin of three out of the four bodies. So, yeah, I mean, it is, it's hard to see with the images, but it is definitely not something that um, I would consider to be a medical device as such. Um, again, we are investigating it. Uh, I'm trying like crazy to see if I can unlock the door at the hospital. As you can imagine, you know, hospitals aren't particularly forthcoming when you talk about a major incident involving a mortuary being broken into. And these are fairly sensitive places. Right, right. Uh, do we have, you know, and do we have names of the deceased? No, nothing. Nothing at all. All we've got now, um, which is, you know, considerably further forward than we had before, is we've got a device and there's someone clearly holding that device coming out of one of the lifts in the hospital. And no, no pictures of the deceased in the mortuary. No, no. I mean, but bear, bear in mind that mortuary is a fairly sacred place. Um, so I, I can't imagine that there would have been any sort of CCTV. I could be wrong. I, I could, you know, I could well be wrong. Uh, all I know is when I went to the hospital, I couldn't get beyond reception. Virtually. Right. And the identity of the person holding the device is his, his or her face visible. Not in this image, no. I mean, what we've got basically is a very blurry image. I, I'm guessing that's from a CCTV still. Um, of him coming out of this elevator and you see the device in his hand 
And then, like I say, later on, we've got this device uh, on the floor in the mortuary. So we haven't got a clear view of who this person is yet. And uh, the the likely hospital involved, I mean, are you able to sort of, based on the location of the accident, through process of elimination, determine the most likely location for this hospital? Well, we've always known through the reports from Mark Collins and from this latest um, disclosure that it is the Petit Salpetriere ah, Hospital. Okay, you did mention that, right. Now, there's an interesting thing about that. That is not the nearest hospital to the incident that happened because the incident happened near the Eiffel Tower. Um, but these four bodies weren't there. For what reason, I don't know. Maybe they had some sort of special facility there, but it definitely wasn't the nearest hospital. Ah, well, uh, those of us who followed the the untimely demise of Prince Princess Diana uh, will recall that she wasn't taken to the nearest hospital either. That seems to be kind of a common denominator. Um, well, listen. Well, we'll, <laughs> yes, can I, can I just add, I believe she was taken to that hospital. Oh, the same hospital. Yeah. Interesting. All right. We'll uh, take another time out. Fact or fiction, the Paris and M6 crashes, volume one, Colin Hall. Really, the, uh, the lead investigator on this is with us, and we are trying to unravel this unscrutable mystery uh, dipped in an enigma wrapped in a chocolatey coating. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Colin Hall is with us. Uh, how can we get a copy of Fact or Fiction, The Paris and M6 Crashes, Volume 1, Colin? Uh, at the moment, you can actually download it on Comixology. Comixology. Can you spell yes. that? Can you spell that for us? Yes, it's C-O-M-I-X-O-L-O-G-Y. If you search for it, you'll find it on there at the moment. There's currently no sort of hard copies, but I'm looking to change that in the next couple of months. Aside from you, Colin, is anyone taking any initiative in trying to unravel this, or are you the guy? At the moment, I think I'm the guy. It's such an amazing, curious story. I'd be fascinated to know why more are not getting involved. Like I say, I think it was under the radar to such an extent um, that it was probably dismissed as, as being a nothing. Now, of course, with evidence comes questions. And I think that these couple of bits that we've seen, and I hasten to add, we're being told on this blog that this person is unlocking evidence off a a drive, a hard drive. So we'll wait and see if there's anything else that comes out. Let me just summarize the case once again. Colin Hall is with us. The book is Fact or Fiction, The Paris and M6 Crashes, Volume 1. Here is the mystery. November 2009, along the M6 motor route in uh, England, near Birmingham, I believe it was? That's correct. Uh, we had a multi-car pileup. And according to um, witnesses, the pileup was precipitated by this bright flash of light. The tarmac was on fire, but the lead three cars in the pileup were empty. Flash ahead six months later. Similar circumstances near the Eiffel Tower on a street in Paris... Again, multi-car pileup. This time, however, there were fatalities. Now, witnesses, and we don't know who these witnesses are, but according to these reports, the bodies in these cars seem to disappear and then reappear. Very strange. 
Then we get reports. These bodies are taken to a hospital in Paris, and then photographs, perhaps off of a closed-circuit video camera, are released, very blurry, that appears to show someone injecting these uh, cadavers in a mortuary, and they leave behind a rather strange-looking device. Some have suggested it looks like a pregnancy test-type apparatus. Um, Is that all... Accurate, yeah, Colin? Okay. That, that is absolutely accurate. I mean, you know, the other thing I would add that um, I think it was three out of the four bodies were injected um, and the fourth body threw up some anomalies. I'm not quite sure what, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, this was definitely some some sort of syringe, not not a syringe that I've ever seen, but, you know, we, we can sort of say with, with a certain degree of authority that, that that device is a syringe. All right. And then what's surfaced most recently, I guess, within the last, is it three or four weeks, is this piece of uh, audio tape, correct? Uh, last week, in fact. Last week, okay. This is supposedly, reportedly, a police audio tape between a, a constable, a traffic constable, and the control center, uh, right immediately following this multi-car pileup on the M6. Let's have a listen. Perhaps a piece of uh, missing police audio, and um, whether it's legitimate or not, well, Colin Hall, the author of Factor Fiction, The Paris and M6 Crashes, is working frantically to try and uh, determine whether that's uh, authentic. Is I mean, what's the? Uh, uh, I mean, are you talking about this on social media, and are you getting any feedback from 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 people? What, what's the? What are people on the ground saying? I think, uh, yes, I am talking a little bit, but <clears throat> I think I think people genuinely are surprised. Um, of course, like I've said, because this is the first proper piece of tangible evidence, um, I, I think that they're quite shocked that the evidence has come to light after such a long time. Absolutely. Um, Listen, I've got to jump in here. Sorry, Colin, we're, uh, we're, we're going to head into a break. We'll pick this up on the other side. The M6 and Paris crashes with Colin Hall here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. And we are back. Colin Hall, Fact or Fiction, the Paris and M6 crashes of Volume 1. And uh, this is quite a mystery. Um, a, a multi-car pileup on the M6, November 2009. 
the lead three cars on fire and nobody in them, and this is all precipitated by a bright flash of light, uh, and uh, the tarmac is on fire. Speed ahead six months later, Paris, a road near the Eiffel Tower, multi-car pileup. Uh, this time, uh, fatalities, four bodies. Witnesses said they appeared, disappeared momentarily, and then reappeared, uh, allegedly taken to a mortuary where they are... Um, uh, well, where someone is caught on camera uh, injecting the cadavers with something. Uh, and that's really all that we know, uh, except for that police audio that uh, we heard earlier that uh, has surfaced, which seems to corroborate the eyewitness accounts of what happened on the M6. We heard audio from a, uh, I guess, a traffic constable who arrived at the scene, described the multi-car pileup, the lead three cars in the pileup on fire and empty, uh, and Colin Hall is uh, is on the case. And I was asking you before the break, uh, what's sort of the um, what's going on in the rumor mill on social media and elsewhere? I mean, are are people uh, are there people in in the area, let's say uh, in Birmingham, who are sort of aware of this? And and are they talking about it in pubs? What do you hear? What do you know? Um, well, they're definitely aware of it because, um, you know, I mean, for, for a start, there's a couple of articles in the region, in the local magazines and newspapers uh, about the book. So whether they're chatting or not, I don't know. I think I think what the key thing here is that, um, in you know, on social media at the moment, people are seeing for the first time, like I am, this evidence come out. Um, and, you know, reaction has been um, shock. You know, it's, it's seven years on. Um, you know, so to keep something that quiet for seven years, that's, that's a hell of a time. As you referred to earlier on, you know, Roswell, people kept that quiet for such a long time. Um, so, you know, I, I think if there's more evidence and we're being told reliably that uh, there will be more evidence, I, I think it'll, if you like, I think the more we see, the more we'll almost dare to believe it's true, and it becomes more about fact than fiction. Um, but I, I've certainly seen, you know, what I've seen over the last few weeks is beyond anything I ever expected to see. I mean, I, I never thought we'd hear an audio clip. Um, you know, that's that's pretty sensitive stuff. And whoever's got it uh, has gone to a lot of trouble to get it out there. Uh, I would imagine that the M6 is heavily surveilled. A lot of uh, I mean, I know London is one of the most surveilled cities on the planet, so I'm guessing that there are a lot of cameras, even just for traffic reports and so forth, along the M6. Somewhere, there must be uh, footage of this car, this this multi-car pileup happening near the, I think it was the 11th Junction near Birmingham. Yes. It's It's got to be out there. Is there, I mean, I, in here in Canada, we have... The um, uh, you can you can launch a FOIA request, Freedom of Information uh, Act, it's called, and you can you can get access to this. Do you have something similar in England? And if so, have you initiated what we call a FOIA? Um, we we do. Um, I've never initiated it only because uh, I never sought that as a, a plausible route to gain access to evidence. Um, they are perfectly acceptable for regular cases when you cross over into areas that are sensitive you tend to find that these requests are rebuked um, it, it's fairly common 
um, anything that's to do with national security, for example, you will not get access to those files. Um, one would imagine it would be very similar with this. I will try because now what I have is a reason to go in, which is this audio clip. Um, I, like you, will be very interested to see what they say. Right. Um, it, and if they stonewall. Exactly. It's, um, uh, it reminds me of um, this sort of circumstance going back to uh, when when LBJ was running for governor in Texas back in the 1950s, and he uh, accused his political opponent of something, and uh, his advisor said, well, you can't accuse him of that. It's not true. And he said, I don't care. I just want to hear him deny it. So it would be, as you say, uh, if this is sort of a national security type situation, and I mean, on the surface, it seems you know pretty innocuous, a multi-car pileup, uh, what could be involved there that would in- entail national security? But if they if they stonewall you, that will be very telling. So it would certainly, for that reason alone, be worth launching a freedom of information request. Well, yeah, and, and plus I've got you know this evidence to point and say, well, yeah. it happened in November <clears throat> 2009. Um, it happened near Junction 11 uh, on the M6. Therefore, we've got everything we need. Um, to stop you chasing up and down every single camera on the M6, because there are literally thousands of them, like you said. Um, so we've got something now a bit more pinpoint um, and something that we can be very concise about and say, right, there are 15 cameras <clears throat> in that region. Um, let's check what the status was in 2009, how many cameras there were. We would like the CCTV images for this period um, in November. In fact, we'd like them for the whole of November because we still actually don't know the date. All we know is it's in November 2009. Right. Um, but we can be a lot more targeted now with this, whereas before it was all very much guesswork and thinking, okay, let's try this, let's try that. Well, Freedom of Information Act, you know, it's great, but if you hit them with a request that's so broad, you won't get anywhere. No, you um, have to be very you specific. You won't even get a denial, to right. be fair. Whereas what we have here now gives us that that absolute solid, solid information that we need to go in and, and, and nail them, to be fair. And what of this mysterious, um, I'm sorry, his name again, the, the, who posted the story originally, Colin? Mark Collins. Mark um, Collins, yes. What, what, who, what do we know about him? We know he was a journalist. Um, we know that um, he wrote... For a site, I believe, um, cause it was on a couple of the reports. I can't remember, but I'll go back and check. Um, we also know from an interview <clears throat> with somebody that it was his brother, apparently, who was at the back of the crash, which is how he got to know about this. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, there was, a, there was an interview he did on a website, um, stateside, actually. Um, that discuss this. Aside from that, we know very little. We, I've had some interaction with him online, and that's about it. He came across as somebody who sounded quite embittered by the whole thing. Whether he was dumped on, I don't know. Whether he is part of the plan, I don't know. You know, I've always said that this was either a diversion, this was a fake, or this was the real deal. Um, and all the players involved are probably all as guilty as each other. It's just trying to work out who did what, where, and when. Um, and then get to the motive and then find out exactly, you know, what transpired at, at these two locations. And when you say Mark Collins was a journalist, do you mean like a credible 
uh, journalist who worked for uh, mainstream media, or what type of journalist was he? No, he was. He was, as far as I could see, he was a, I guess, a little bit of a, a journalist wannabe. Um, what they call a citizen's was, journalist nowadays, a citizen's journalist. Um, yeah, that's probably a good way of describing it. I mean, I, like I say, the information is so scant. I mean, the guy's disappeared from view. Um, all I know is that he, he did a few articles here and there. There are a few articles on his blog, to be fair. Clearly, the man was trying to make a name for himself. Right, right. Um, whether he was trying to leverage these reports um, into what he was doing, I don't know. Um, but clearly, nothing has happened on his blog for, for years. And your last communication with him online was when? Uh, I think it was last year. Last year, okay. Last year, and and he was allegedly writing a book. Now, that, that, to be fair, you've reminded me of something here because he actually said last year he was writing a book, um, which has, as far as I can see, has never seen the light of day. Now, interesting that he would say that out of the blue, and then obviously we see this stuff. Now, whether you know there's been some conversations going on and people have been told to be quiet. Um, because this is coming out, I don't know. But that was the last communication I had. Well, uh, I mean, let's, let's speculate a little bit. Uh, I mean, assuming that this all happened, how would you, what are your theories as to what happened to the, the, the occupants of the, the lead three cars and the pileup on the M6 and the, uh, the, the four bodies that appeared to disappear momentarily, uh, in the crash in Paris? What's going on here, Colin? Well, if I was to speculate and be, you know, fairly brutal about it, you could turn around and say, well, the, the fire was a fire and the bodies were burnt beyond, you know, they just vaporized. And what caused that fire? You know, that's one theory. But then that doesn't quite tie in because, you know, the, the policeman's talking about the vehicle still being there and being on fire. Uh, and it would take a pretty powerful uh, amount of heat to vaporize a body without vaporizing the car. It doesn't work. It, right. It I mean, go. a crematorium, uh, even with those extreme temperatures, obviously there's still ash left. There's stump, there's going to be something left. Uh, absolutely. Um, so I, I honestly don't know. I, you know, I mean, I, I got tied up and I looked at um, Michu Kaku and Ronald Mallet talking about the multiverse theory and time travel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, you know... <laughs> There was a report I read that amused me highly because it was it was on a website I think called Unexplained and it said time travel um, and and they basically written their own version of events and they talked about you know these people disappeared because they disappeared off into another time. Well, of course, me being me, I went off and investigated Ronald Mallet. Yes. Now Ronald Mallet, I believe, is based in he's, he's American. I think it's either Chicago or Boston. Uh, University of Connecticut. Okay, uh, close. Uh, this guy um, he gave a speech that was quite interesting, to, to say the least, because he turned around and said, "Time travel probably could have already been invented because future generations are probably back here now, and we wouldn't know." And I thought that's an interesting thought. <clears throat> Michu Kaku talks about the multiverse theory. And again, when you look at that in detail, um, it's very clever. So I got dragged into all these different areas, completely 
utterly at random. Um, and yes, it's a theory, you know, I mean, these people could have been snapped away into some distant time. Um, you know, do I believe in that? I, I physically have no idea until I can actually lay my hands on the evidence that categorically states, yes, that happened. Well, what's, what's that old saying? When everything else has been ruled out, what remains, no matter how implausible, must be the truth. Well, that, that is it, and that's an often used phrase, um, and, and I agree with that. Um, you know, so, I mean, you can rule out they were burned because the cars wouldn't be there. Definitely. Um, all we know is that they disappeared. Did, did they reappear? We don't know. Um, we know that we've had this audio. This is the first bit of evidence we've got from the crash. Um, and then we've got CCTV that we're now going to try and get. So hopefully we can build up a picture of what actually happened there. Um, and then after that, we can go back and <clears throat> start crossing off more of these you know, theories. And again, just uh, we're almost out of time here, but to pursue this this time travel uh, possibility that uh, somehow the the missing occupants of the uh, M6 crash uh, were somehow I don't know catapulted into another dimension or another time uh, frame, uh, and perhaps this bright flashing light had something to do with it. Uh, the, uh, the 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 cadaver or the bodies of the, the, the uh, victims of the Paris crash that appeared to disappear momentarily and then reappear, and then this strange uh, a figure who is caught on camera in the mortuary where these four uh, bodies are being held, uh, injecting them with something. So what's the idea that he could be from the future? He's coming back? I don't know. It's it's all it's just a riddle, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, you, you know, I'll, I'll read directly because I've just got this guy's blog up. <clears throat> and it says here, the autopsy report showed that all four bodies, um, high levels of succinylcholine in their bloodstream. A morgue technician went on record to suggest in their professional opinion, these people could not have controlled a motor vehicle. They now, I need to find out who this morgue technician is, because if they're saying that they couldn't have controlled a vehicle due to being loaded with a load of succinylcholine, um, that has a further twist into to what on earth happened. Well, you've got a lot to chew on, and, uh, <laughs> and we will look forward to Fact or Fiction Volume 2, The Paris and M6 Crashes. Uh, Colin, please uh, keep us up to date, and we'll get you back on when you know more. Thank you so much for this. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. Colin Hall. All right. My thanks to Ian Robertson, Albert Fenzel, John Franz. Thanks to you all for listening. Back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.